Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Star Trek Culture. I'm your host, Liana Ahmed, here with my wonderful co-host, Stephen Schinder. We're here to talk about Star Trek The Original Series, Season 1, Episode 6, Mud's Women. We also want to remind you that we have a Patreon account. If you check our links below, you can uh, join us and get some behind-the-scenes information and uh, get some looks ahead into what we're doing at um, Culture Slate. Culture Slate can be found on all social media platforms. If you want to get in touch with us, please give us a shout at Star Trek Culture Podcast at gmail.com. Well, this episode aired in 1966, October 13th, 1966 to be exact, but it was um, the second or third to actually be filmed. Uh, Corbinite Maneuver was before that, and then there was The Cage, but I'm trying to remember there's something in between those two. Um, but uh, there's. Okay. There's quite a lot of uncertainty still in the cast and everything else when they're making this episode. I don't know if you... Um, it doesn't come across for me that way. What about you, Stephen? I guess I was not really looking for it, but I think I was just overall distracted by how underwhelmed I was by this episode in general. So maybe that's why I didn't notice it. Like, it's it's just my least favorite out of the episodes of the original series of rewatch so far. Yeah, um, I can feel you on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what about it did you not like? Like what what is it that takes it down a notch for you? So I feel like there's just some artificialness about it when if that's even a word probably isn't, but what who cares? Um <laughs> when it comes to like the women who that mud brings like there's just it it feels like so artificial to me in an off-putting sort of way mm. and also with mud himself like i vaguely remember the first time around watching this series i didn't really care for him that much and then i was like super impressed with the way rain wilson uh interpreted the character on D- star trek discovery mm. Um, and so after seeing that, it's like going back and seeing this, there's a disconnect and the different portrayals are like so starkly different to the point where like maybe Rain Wilson should have just played a completely new character in hindsight rather than them just trying to connect to the original series era. Hmm. So, um, like, like it's nothing against the actor who plays Mud here. It's just, he's not as villainous as i guess i was i got used to enjoying from like how i saw the mud that's on discovery rain plays like this darker like there's an angle to him that he delves into and it's not dark isn't the word i'm looking for maniacal maybe is that the better word there's something he he, he definitely seems like diabolical thank you that's the best yeah Diabolical. Yeah, and, and yeah. he does, like, you know, obviously Rain Wilson played Dwight on The Office, but when I see him in that role, I don't see Dwight. Oh, he just no. disappears yeah. into that role for me. But it's also weird because when I hear, because, you know, obviously it's the same voice, it's Rain Wilson's voice, but I don't see Dwight. I see uh, his mud character in Discovery. <laughs> and, but when I watch something uh, like, the DC animated movies, um, The Death of Superman and Reign of the Superman, where uh, Rain Wilson voices Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
the moment Lex Luthor talks, I do think of Dwight Schrute. Oh. Even, even though, <laughs> so it kind of like, ruins the Lex Luthor uh, yeah, for well, you. <laughs> yeah, I, like those films are really great. Like they're two of my favorite Superman movies ever. Uh-huh. Um, oh, I agree. And, I love them now. But and, now my, yeah, I'm and, able to stop laughing. And like Rain, Rain does do a good job voicing the character, but it's also like I just think of Dwight when I hear his Lex, whereas when I see and hear him as Mud, I just see Mud as he he did it. Like, it, it's weird. <laughs> That's funny. I never thought about it that way, and now the thing is, you know, I love DC animated everything also, so like, am I gonna be able to separate it out? Like, when there's certain other actors... I just actresses. ruined it for you, didn't yeah, I? a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's certain actors and actresses when they've done the voices, um, or when their voice is missing in in the animated series i notice it but i have to say lex luthor's i mean um rain's uh lex i i'd have to really think about it but and thankfully hopefully the next time i watch it again i won't remember <laughs> I, I think it might have been due to me knowing ahead of time that mm-hmm. he was voicing lex because i think when me and my brother were watching it together uh, I asked him, do you recognize the voice? And I think it may have taken him a while, or maybe I had to tell him who it was, and then he was like, oh, I can hear it. So <laughs> I can't remember exactly. But I think I do kind of wonder if maybe it would have been different if I didn't know ahead of time that he was doing the voice. Right, right. But you know, it's funny that you talk about artificialness uh, of this episode or just the characters, because that's actually one of the it's a take on one of the themes and and there's like two themes in this particular show but i really even after watching it for like the umpteenth time i still really only pick up one theme um and that's the outer beauty you know being um a combination of your inner beauty and your inner strength and that's your actual outer outer beauty i think the other theme that they were trying to enforce is actually stated very you know in your face by kirk and it's about um, you know, what is it? It's a quote, actually. There's, um, I'm reading it from the book here. Um, there's only one kind of woman, and Mud kind of responds, or man, for that matter. And he says, you know, you're, um, you either believe in yourself or you don't. And basically it's like, you know, your self-confidence, self-worth, uh, and how you project those things um, goes a long way to um, how others perceive you. And while that's a true statement, I didn't get that <laughs> from this episode. <laughs> I got the inner beauty, outer beauty thing. That's kind of sort of in my face. Um, but I did not get that second one. So, but the plasticky part of it, I thought was supposed to be over the top because that's what Mud was selling, right? Right. He was, sell- he was selling the dream. <laughs> so. like, like, I get that that was the intention. It's just not enjoyable. <laughs> to experience for me it's kind of like that episode of community where jack black plays a character who is supposed to be like really out of place and does not feel organic in the show at all yeah and like that's the intention but it's also so cringe to watch to a point where i'm glad he only played that character in one episode like i love jack black i just didn't like (laughs) the way his character was i was sad for his character at the end of that episode of community (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, you know how much I love that show, but um, that episode, and then anything with with Chang and Changnesia, 
I'm actually rewatching it right now, so I'm kind of in those Changnesia episodes. So. Oh, so season four, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it, it's right when it apexes and it starts to, you know, starts. Yeah, I mean, part. season four is the gas leak year. I don't think it's as bad as some people say it is, but it's uh, definitely my least through, favorite season. I agree, it's not as bad this time through. Like it just, I'm just liking it. I'm just enjoying it. Um, I don't know why I didn't like it as much. Like, I, maybe once I get further in, I'll find the episodes, but that, that bothered me. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there was like a behind the scenes shakeup for that season, yes. so that might be part I'm of it. But I mean, the, not yeah, quite there yet. Yeah, it's, this um, isn't community culture, this isn't so community we'll culture. just get back to Star yeah. Trek. <laughs> so, um, but uh, this particular episode, um, I had many years ago, somebody said this particular phrase. And I thought they were just kidding or they were just characterizing the women in this episode. Um, we were talking about Star Trek and, and uh, Bud's women. And this particular friend said, oh, yeah, you know, Gene Roddenberry's hookers in space episode. And I was like, okay, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, they were like mail order brides. You know, that's what my take of it was. And um, because it's still, remember, like they're trying to sell the concept of this spacefaring show as wagon train you know uh, to the west kind of thing so yeah um mail order bride is whatever but in reading the cushman um documentation on this particular episode that is literally exactly what gene von had wanted was hookers in space so again Stephen, to your point about it being plasticky and you know um unreal it's probably what Roddenberry yes, wanted. It's all part of Cringy. Gene Roddenberry's. <laughs> it's all part of Gene Roddenberry's perfect, can do no wrong vision, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> There's no Christmas face. No, his his whole point was about that inner beauty, outer beauty, and objectification of women and everything else, but also um, drug use and um, part of. It. We'll get into that particular bit, but what this particular episode. The Cage and what became um, The Last of the Archons were the first three pilots, um, were contenders for pilots that Roddenberry had pitched. Like for premieres. For for, for the premiere, yeah. And so ultimately they ended up picking The Cage, but when Roddenberry tried to, you know, he did another script, he could not resubmit this one because it had already been rejected. So he got somebody else to uh, take a look at it, and this particular gentleman, Stephen Kendall, ended up creating the character Hardy Mudd. And I think um, Kettle is given um, sole writing credit on it, whereas the story, it's got a story by credit for Roddenberry and um, for, for Black on this particular one. But um, with the addition of Mud and the concept of the mail order bride, it, it really pulls it back and away from uh, other thing that Roddenberry was trying to do. And I would love to know what that script, that original script looked like, because this is 1960s television. It's like, you can't do that. You can't do a whole heck of a lot on um, television at the time. Any little thing and the censors would pull you out. And so it's amazing to me that this ever got greenlit and produced. We'll be saying that often <laughs> throughout yes. a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> but um, that this is the first one where I'm like, yeah, wow. How did they get away with this? And it's not just the content, but also just what the the women were wearing. They're, you know, even to my 80s eyes when I was watching this, 
I was like, wow, that's kind of it's kind of racy. And maybe like I had a you know huge crush on on the woman that plays Ruth. Like I think everybody does. Is she's just one of the most alluring people on on this particular episode. But um, all their outfits were just incredibly like um, one slip of movement away from you know being a Super Bowl style disaster. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, but it was all a part of that um, distract them with with sex appeal. And we'll teach him a lesson while we're at it, <laughs> you know, run right. also. Um, you know, I, I kind of was talking about what was going on at the in the world at the time at the beginning. This episode aired in 66. We still, just a couple of years from Woodstock, Vietnam is raging. Um, and there that's what's going on in the backdrop of all of this. So this kind of, this was a nice escape, I, I can assume, for, for folks, you know, worried about the war war about everything else that was going on and in the world at the time but uh i i just i kind of find it you know it's is it one of my favorite episodes no not by a long shot way more better <laughs> political series is it cringy for me less so than before i think i would say yes for you for it's me. still like at that <laughs> for me it's less so i and i I don't know what it is, but I know like over the decades <laughs> since I first saw it, and you know, I, I always say this because this is you know just how I grew up. We didn't have cable or anything like that. We watched a lot of reruns. There are a lot of reasons we couldn't really go outside at the at the time, and so um, we stayed in and watched a lot of TV. And the actor that plays some things never change, right? Right. It's <laughs> like I was prepping for this my entire life you know yeah. those those jokey memes about gen xers and how we've been prepping for pandemic all our lives we just didn't know it's kind of true right <laughs> so, it's kind of true that's, that's why i'm like oh yeah the world's opening up again i was like do i really want to go back outside though <laughs> right i kind of i kind of uh, i'm not saying that i'm okay with it i'm just saying like i don't mind it as much <laughs> even after a year of it um anyway what I remember from watching this episode and just watching all of that 60s television that was on at the same time, just, you know, in reruns, I, I'm assuming, like, probably the same order that they showed them on the, you know, whatever stations they were on. Um, this gentleman that played Mud wasn't a lot of other things. And so his character and his characterization of Mud, I thought, you know, it just fit him. And I've, I've, I've grown to accept him. But I also like you. I liked uh, Ray Wilson's version of Mud. It fits a bit more with what Discovery needed. Right? Yeah, like the Harry Mud of Discovery definitely fits the mold of Discovery, whereas yeah. uh, the one here could fit more with the original series' tone, whereas he wouldn't fit with the tone of Discovery. Yeah, and and I and I think the brilliance of, of rain and the direction he was given like he couldn't play it the same and then why would he right i mean number one why would he but number two there was no um ability for him to do so it would look campy it would end up looking kind of like the first few batman movies that came out in the in the uh late 80s early 90s you know the the ones that were based off of adam west rather than um what Batman should have been. <laughs> so, um, well, I feel like, well, the Tim Burton ones anyway do yeah. feel a bit darker than the Adam West interpretation. They, 
do, but there's, there's something about the... I liked the Penguin and Catwoman one. I loved Jack Nicholson as the Joker. But then pretty much after that, it falls apart. But actually, I think those Yeah, with nice. Batman uh, Forever and Batman yeah. and Robin. Yeah, yeah, pretty much after that. I actually... I think I was forced to go to the theater with friends with the <laughs> notion that I would be placated with beverages afterwards. Because <laughs> oh. they were like, you're, you yeah, I mean, for those, and I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for those last couple of, like, the ones that um, Schumacher did, you, you actually need the beverages during. Yeah. Yeah. I really just, I mean, it was it's just the most cringeworthy set of movies I've laid my eyes on (laughs) (laughs) and this was back in the day when theaters didn't really offer that especially like where i was going to school yeah but then like fast forward to a year ago um when i was able to like get one of those beverages from the theater while watching birds of prey that was a good time right right probably made it better (laughs) right i mean i love that film it's Uh it's unironically my favorite dceu film so Okay. Yeah, I saw I saw it twice, and I also enjoyed the beverage. But yeah, <laughs> that was a year ago, and this is now, and things are not the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, for for me personally, around this time, I miss it, my friends uh, that I see at Gallifrey One, which is a Doctor Who convention, which is normally around this time of year, and uh, we are not there. And even some of the the folks that help us with Culture Slate, we we see each other here. <laughs> Um, at Gallifrey, and um, we're all missing each other big time. It's it was my only con for 2020, and so it after it was over within a month, everything went to pandemic. <laughs> right, because so. yeah, because all that stuff happened in March, so yes. you'd have like January and February, yeah, yeah, for normalcy, for Lunar New Year, for for everything else, <laughs> and then I then I have the then I have pan- pandemic world. But, um, yeah. so, did you have a bone to pick with Bones in this episode at all? Yeah, he's he's just getting distracted by <laughs> the women so much. It's like, dude, focus. <laughs> right. And and the plot of this is, we, we talked about the Mail Order Bride, and that is the A plot, that getting these women over to a particular planet because they were um, promised to some minors, and it just so happens that uh, the B plot is around a need for the ship. And so once again, Kirk is um, looking after his mistress, his wife, wherever you want to think about it. The first love of his life is his ship. And he has to make a deal with this, these women and their freedom and, you know, a lifestyle that they supposedly chose for themselves to be these, the wives of these minors and deal with this cat of a character like Mud, who lied to him about his name to start, if you recall, or you know, or get the much needed ore that he needs for his ship. The lithium, um, the lithium circuitry actually fries out, and he needs it to propel the ship, or at least to get out um, from this particular planetary system. Otherwise, he's going to end up uh, the trip that would only take maybe a few days would take months, maybe years. So. He has this really, really hard decision to make. And I, this is the start of classic Trek, right? I mean, it is classic Trek, but this is that, that same thing where I've got this really big problem and I've got this other seemingly really big problem 
and that you know there's a reason I how do I solve it right that that's the classic track to me that's probably the only good thing about this episode quite honestly <laughs> is the problem that he has to solve um but otherwise uh something that bothered me I think kind of bugs you too is some of some of the resolution of the a plot which is um the women are given drugs to help them look beautiful and they're led to believe that the drug makes you know without the drug that, that they're not beautiful to end their own self-doubt kind of feeds into their own outer ugliness if you will yeah and right. it's, a, it's really chauvinistic to say these things <laughs> you know but yeah it's yeah it's weird to like say it in a way that sounds like correct it's, yeah, there's no correct it's weird like this episode is so weird it's and, and it's hard to us, like dance know, around 2021 talking about it right um in 19 even 80 ish you know mid 80s when i was watching this in rerun format like those were the same things that we were being fed to in after school specials right inner <laughs> beauty outer beauty i mean and it was um always given to us in, in these formats so that's why the older people in the room tend to be like, oh, it's a great episode. We, you know, like they love the lessons and and me sympathizing with the younger folks in the room like, yeah, but, you know, it's okay to call out the crap in the episode too, guys. <laughs> it's not all good. <laughs> so. Right. Like with some people, um, and it's not just this episode, but just things in general. Like there's that whole thing of like rose-tinted glasses so, like, yes. looking at things are considered yeah. classics but like y you can s it, like it's still like you can still look at it through the lens of oh that thing within the thing that i enjoy is kind of not right you know it's we haven't gotten to good yeah. honor yet <laughs> yeah like you can acknowledge the flaws yeah yeah there's there's flaws and um Here's the thing, though. Storytelling of the era, how else am I going to get the point across? This was, unfortunately, the only way to get that point across. There, and, and Roddenberry, we also know, was, like, really, really liking, you know, wanting it to be a sexy kind of episode, you know, already. So um, there was no other way to keep the people interested. And this episode, actually, as far as ratings go, it hit, it was number one and number two over the hour that it was. Actually, it was number one the entire time. And the rerun um was also number one too so it, it did well um and i wonder if it did well because people there were three very lovely ladies to look at um there was an interesting problem to solve and that uh, the gentleman uh, mr carmel who played mud very popular actor at the time so um you had the ingredients for the audience of the 60s to stay tuned and watch it so um now yeah, like hard. it, well, like it did its job yes. with what they had. Yeah, I suppose for the era. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, yeah. I, I alluded to this before about the ending of that a plot. So we talked about the drugs. We talked about the inner beauty, outer beauty thing. And I, I, I had to rewatch this before we started the broadcast too because I, it bothered me, and uh, something I was reading and when I was researching it as well. It's like okay, so I, I'm not. I don't think I'm wrong, but I need to see it again for myself. And it was basically at the end, the whole lesson is supposed to be about um, your inner beauty and your self-confidence will shine 
and make you outwardly beautiful. And ultimately, um, one of the main character of uh, one of the main females um, is uh, Childress, the, the owner of the mining planet itself, or the the guy who's running the mining planet. That's supposed to be his wife, or, you know, chosen companion. And she basically, um, she calls him out very, very astutely on all the things that um, are wrong with what he was idealizing. And, um, you know, she has a little coming to her as well about not being confident. But then she actually, without the pill, becomes beautiful because, you know, she gains her confidence. And then uh, Childress accepts her to be his bride. And it feels out of order with the message to me. Yeah. So. Like, they didn't perfect it the way that the cinematic masterpiece that is Shrek did. (laughs) You were going to bring this up. Go ahead. Go for it. Like Shrek. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. I was trying to yeah, no, that was, Shrek. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that was all I was gonna say. But yeah, like <laughs> like I do think Shrek does it very well. But yeah, yeah Mud's women could have done it like better than the way that they ended up doing it in the episode. Right. It just if they even if they flipped up the order, like and they had him accept her as um after she, you know, and then she becomes beautified, there's there's a, a a light way to look at it or a lighter, like lovely way to look at it that she's, um, that he's accepted her regardless of what her appearance is. And, um, that his confidence, part of her, um, you know, but the dark side to me is actually that part of her confidence is built upon the fact that she's accepted by him. So it's like, she's not confident without his love. Is that what you're trying to say? So you, you can read it either way. Um, if you, even if you flip it, right. <laughs> so, right. It, it's a it's a writer's conundrum that I think I don't really know if there was really a way to win. <laughs> so, um, it it just doesn't. It'll be interesting to see um, how I feel about it in a couple of years when I get back to it because we got a lot of trek to go. <laughs> yeah, and and I think this is also the first episode where we hear, uh, we hear that Kirk's middle initial is T because we hear yes. Mud say James T Kirk. But I don't think we find out that it stands for Tiberius until the animated series, based on what I read uh, sometime recently. I think so. And also, I was just talking to uh, one of my old uh, bosses about um, this. He's like, I've got some, you know, because, you know, they do this. And um, he's asking me some Star Trek trivia about, hey, so was James James, uh, T. Kirk's middle mission always T? And I was like, no, in fact, in in, um, the... Where no man has gone before. Thank you. Like you know that one episode where no man has gone before. It's R, and and he's like, yeah. So you do know, and I was like, of course I know. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I figured you would. (laughs) And happened to be a video call, and I showed him my Cushman book collection. He's like, of course you would have those. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, my nerdiness knows no bounds, and I'm actually looking at some other books to get to. I can't wait. My bookshelf will be full of nothing but Star Trek, Star Wars, and, you know, some Gates and some other yeah, Lord you, of the Rings. You, you'll, you'll think that, you'll <laughs> think that an earthquake broke your bookshelf, but it's actually just the bookshelf collapsing right. from the weight of all the books. All the books. And yes, I, I like books. Yeah, I have e-readers and I have all the Kindles and things like that, but I, I like books. I like to be able to highlight them. I like to be able to touch the smell. Oh, I don't like highlighting them at all because it feels weird to, oh. to like, like I want to keep them preserved like as they are so 
For yeah. my nonfiction, I do that. For my fiction, of course, I, you know, like, I jumped out anyone's, uh, anything to, like, if they tried to take a book out of my, my library, my, my books, I don't share. I'm very bad about that kind of thing. But for these kind of um, nonfiction uh, production notebooks, it, it feels like, you know, um, I'm studying for a test, and I, I enjoy it. It's not that I, uh, right. not in a negative connotation at all. Um, but uh, uh, as far as the um, favorite quote, did you have, did we talk about favorite quotes yet already? Uh, not yet, have? but we can do it now, oh, since yeah. my favorite quote is actually at the end of the episode. Ah, okay. Yeah, so my favorite quote is when Spock says, I'm happy the affair is over. A most annoying emotional episode. <laughs> and it's like, it's funny because I found this episode kind of annoying. Just it's not as enjoyable for me as like the others we've watched. But also it reminds me of the people who get mad at the characters being emotional in Discovery for <laughs> like, like they just get mad about that for no reason. For no reason. <laughs> No, and and mine, you know, I had one the first few times I ever watched it. I liked the thing about the inner beauty, outer beauty that Kirk and Mud kind of say, and I, I alluded to it before already. But this time through, and because of the deeper research I've been doing into these episodes, and knowing what was written when and what was aired when, I like the quote that Mud has in exchange with Evie, basically. He says, you know, a ship's captain is, uh, ship's captains are already, um, are already married to their vessels, Evie. You'll see this the moment you try to come between him and his ship. And I just like the fact that Mud, you know, read Kirk, like, immediately and knew exactly the kind of person he was and called him out on it so eloquently. <laughs> yeah. It just, it was, it was just nice. And, and, um, Kirk and, and Nimoy... Um, I shouldn't say Kirk and Nimoy. I, I do that often. I mean, Kirk and Spock. Yeah, Shat Shatner and Spock. <laughs> Shatner and Spock. Yeah, I've I've done that so often lately. Um, so um, yeah, Shatner and Spock. I mean, <laughs> Kirk, and, <laughs> Kirk and Spock. They both are impacted and affected by by these women and the beauty of these women. And in doing some research, I also one of the scenes at the very beginning of the episode where we've got um. Spock and the women being escorted in the in the lift, in the turbo lift with Mud, um, and Mud's making fun of him, saying, "Oh, yeah, these women will never affect you, you know, because you're a Vulcanian," which hits the ear weird to say Vulcanian, but um, yeah, glossing past that, there's a a tight <laughs> shot that they do on Spock's face, and you can tell, and by this time you know that he's part human, and obviously he's not telling this to Mud because then Mud would, you know. Um, pick up on it and do something with it but yeah he would try to exploit that exploit it yeah but uh, there's this thing that they do and they, they close up look at and spock's face and you could tell that he's trying really hard to not be affected by the women in the lift so his human side is always there and i thought that was a really nice way to like remind us that he's that he's human yeah um so do you think that this episode fits neatly in same or different universe Right, so each time we do this, same universe, different universe, we yeah. we jokingly say, oh, is this consistent or inconsistent with the previous episode? And if it's not, we'll, we might say, oh, it's a different universe thing, because 
you know, that's how fans argue. Uh, we don't really believe it, but we like to play around. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to say this is different universe because they're not dwelling on the fact that in the previous episode, they found out that Kirk has a dark side within him. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's just going along, like everything's normal. Yeah. Like, yeah. So dark side. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and in my head, of course, I think DC Dark Side, and I also think Star Wars Dark Side. <laughs> oh, I was thinking Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Oh yeah, there's that too. But uh, it's yeah. funny that's uh, how. Uh, also, the Fraser. Ep- <laughs> also, the Fraser episode, Dark Side of the Moon, which was the first Fraser episode I ever watched. Oh, okay. So that's not the first episode that aired, though, right? No, it's from season six, I think. Six or seven. Something something it's like about that. Daphne's character more than anything else, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to remember. I love that show. I love Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for anybody that has never watched Cheers, what's funny about watching it again um, is the episodes where they talk about getting health care for the employees because Massachusetts passed a law and it was part of it, the episode. And You've got, you know, other people making appearances, um, senators and, and congressmen that we all knew and loved were actually in some of the just like beginnings of the episodes and some of the cold opens. Um, but it, it's very telling <laughs> and kind of yeah. creepy that way. And you also got like Star Trek actors. In oh, yeah. Cheers <laughs> there's a whole meme. Yeah, there's like a fan thing. theory that Cheers <laughs> is a holodeck program. Yes. For the sheer Mor- number of people. Morn is role-playing as Norm <laughs> right. or something. And this is why Ted Danson needs to make an appearance on Star Trek, just to, like, blow everyone's minds and complete <laughs> complete it for us, please. Yeah, he'll be, like, the, he'll be like the bartender or something, I don't know. Oh, that would be... I actually just think he would be a really good admiral. Like, just another admiral that we need. Or... Make him a cue and tie it into the good place. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that would be so brilliant. Oh my gosh, that now I can't stop thinking of anything else. <laughs> really, yeah. Now I want that. I'm also a part of a group. We really church. set ourselves up for disappointment. <laughs> I know. When it never happens, I'll be <laughs> at the end of my life. I'm like, of all the things I regret, this is I regret not seeing Ted Danson in some kind of Star Trek. (laughs) Well, for me, this is also different, but it's because of the planet they were on and the fact that, yeah, I know it's the wagon train for the, you know, in the stars kind of thing, but um, I, I just can't get over the fact that they were on this desolate planet, like barren, desolate, windy desert planet. And they had furniture that was out of a Western set. And it's clear, like, they, they just went over next door to whatever Western set. And they just plopped everything in. It's like this, I mean, it's very old-fashioned and very um, antiquated, um, anachronistic even, right? Because there was nothing sophisticated about it. And I'm thinking, wait, this is, what century right. are we again? And that's what bothers me. And so that's why I think that this is one of those Twilight Zone kind of like they're in a different they when they get on the planet they're in a different universe. That's my theory. <laughs> so, sure, why not? Right. It's all good. Yeah. I, I don't do drugs. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I would have to clarify that with some people <laughs> when I talk about these particular segments. I was like, no no no. We're so <laughs> 
Oh yeah, no, my silliness is just <laughs> this only, is just how we are. Like, yeah. <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately, yeah. depending on the person. Right. I don't know. Right. Um. So, any other uh, final parting thoughts for this particular episode? Um, I will say, Mud's mustache is unforgettable. So that's you know that cements him amongst like the Star Trek character lexicon. Yeah, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I was kind of surprised that he shows up this early in the show. Kind of, yeah. um, but uh, yeah, like I'm curious to see uh, how the next episode, uh, whatever it is, com- compares to like all the ones we've seen so far. Because like we're constantly doing that, we're like mm-hmm. watching a different episode and then we're kind of like in t- subconsciously or subconsciously thinking back to like the ones we already watched and how it stacks up. Yeah, and in this particular case, we've got um, an episode that was filmed a little bit later that airs next, and um, it's going to be interesting because by now the cl- the crew's gelled a bit more. Um, you know, we've got more consistency in uniforms. One thing I I failed to mention at the very beginning was that. Um, Uhura is wearing a green command uniform. Oh, that's right. As opposed to the red. And that's so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's it just it um feels it it's uh, from a cosplayer perspective. I'm like, ooh, I've got to make sure I get that from a from a consistency perspective. It's bothersome because she's been wearing red. Totally yeah. different universe. <laughs> exactly. That's another reason why it's a different universe. <laughs> so, yeah. See, we're not wrong. <laughs> we are not right <laughs> or email us and tell us how wrong we why are. we're right or wrong i don't know <laughs> all right well thanks guys for spending time with us and listening to us talk about uh star trek the original series season one episode six muds women and just a quick note on our episode counting we count the cage as episode zero so if it doesn't yeah. align to the numeration that you may have, it's because we have the cage as, as zero of, you know, of that episode. Well, um, anyway, Stephen, as always, it's wonderful chatting with you about all things Star Trek here on Star Trek Culture. You can catch Star Trek, Star Trek Culture on all of the Culture Slate platforms. You can also join us on our Patreon account, and becoming a member gives you insights into some of our co- content coming up and also um, you get to see some behind the scenes as well. If you want to reach um, Stephen and me with any insights or any commentary, please give us a shout out at uh, Star Trek Culture Podcast at gmail.com. And here we go. Live long and prosper. Live long and Star Trek. Oh. You would actually <laughs> like to see a Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> now I can't. Now there's two things I have to see before We're, I die. Yes. CBS Paramount needs to just, like, I got look it. at our ideas. <laughs> got it, Nick. Oh, my God. Nickelodeon. Right? They oh, like Prodigy? Me. Yes, in Prodigy. <laughs> sure, why not? She's going to carry a Shrek doll. One of, the, one of the kids is going to have a Shrek doll. Please let one of the kids have a Shrek doll. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Joel on True. This time we're saying out. <laughs>